What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We've got Jays Jumper, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson's, Jaw Rafts, of course. We've got Jays again for days. Josh, how you doing? I got to say, of all the NBA players, I would have selected to pull a Chris Webber, Steph Curry. Nowhere near the top of that list. It's a good call. That would that would not be in my first team all Chris Webber either. Steve Kerr's reaction too. <laughs> he Yeah, I don't think he could believe what happened either. <laughs> but they survived. And now they have to go bet now they have to beat the Kings twice in three games. Okay. We'll, we'll, I, I I would I would not have a hard time betting on that. But we'll see. Uh someone's gotta, gotta win. Still gotta win in Sacramento. Yeah, but are you really going to pick the Kings in Game 7 of a series against the Warriors, regardless game, of where it's being played? Game 5, I want to say yes. Game 7, not so I good. didn't ask about Game 5. I, yeah, I asked yeah, about Game it's, 7. It's a, it's a fair point. It's finally poised. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure people understand how much it doesn't matter if the Kings are actually the good team, if the better team. If they get to seven games, they're not going to win that game. I would I would I would offer up a lot of money that the Warriors don't win that the Warriors win game seven of that series if they get there. Um but yeah. That's one of the, the one of the better first round first round matchups. Kind of everything else has lost its juice a little bit, whether it be um I suppose all things considered in the, the Warriors I mean sorry, in, in the Lakers Grizzlies series yeah. that that's as about as juice there. Yeah. And considering the injury to Jaws' hand, game four, you're down 2-1. And, you know, apart from the really bad first quarter, things were competitive in game three is about as good as maybe you were going to get. But, you know, on the east side, nothing's exactly uh, apart from the from the heat bucks. But I just kind of think that series was going to have zero juice (laughs) no matter what happened. And it's a question of. And same thing kind of with the Clippers Sun series. It's a question of injuries, right? Yeah. That maybe that series is fun if if Miami can hang with a healthy Bucks, but it's not as fun when it's no Giannis. And right. if Giannis comes back, it probably gets less interesting. So Unless you're already down three one. That's uh, it doesn't matter yeah. when Gian- if Giannis comes back completely healthy in game five, winning three games in a row against the Heat is right. not gonna be not gonna be easy. Right. But um There's hope for that series, definitely. I would agree. I would agree, I would agree. College basketball, that's what this podcast is about, and that's what we'll talk about today. Uh some some movement, some momentum in the transfer portal. We'll, we're still kind of waiting on some of those those tippity top names, um, you know, Hunter Dickinson. We're still waiting for him to pick a school. Max Amos, also waiting for him to pick a school. But as you go through, you know, last time we talked, a lot of the the top ten, top fifteen transfers were still waiting on what school they were going to pick, and and there's still a, a, a reasonable amount of players and some players that will make an impact on next year's season that are waiting to to make a decision on where they're going to play college basketball next year, whether that's Matthew Cleveland or Tyler Perry, um, Jalen Tyson, uh, Jalen Tyson from Texas tech. Um, but apart from, apart from Hunter Dickinson, some of those really, uh, a lot of those really high ranked uh, recruits have found a place to play next year. And a lot of them, uh, and, and some of them have found their way to, some storied programs that are are now in a position to reload and 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 have a go at at title contention again again next year and and two of those teams Josh are Gonzaga and UNC two teams that I think relative like relative to the last couple years maybe and maybe this is more for Gonzaga than than anybody else than, than UNC but you know, it's been a little while since Gonzaga's direction the following season has really been in question, mm-hmm. whether it's because, you know, Chet Holmgren was coming in with a really awesome recruiting class. So you knew that was going to be a big part of the deal or just the fact that Drew Timmy is coming back say, right, is, existence. Right, is, is, is going to be around. Neither of those things are going to be true. There's not a, a stacked, you know, we have the number one ranked player in the class type recruiting class coming into Gonzaga 
And with Drew Timmy leaving, and honestly, that team, you know, and in the you know Julian Strother and and Rasir Bolton likely not there as well next year. It's one of those. It, like it, it wasn't a spectacular season last year. It was a season that that it was clearly not a, an elite Gonzaga team, and and now we have a place where you're not totally sure about their direction. And over the last, you know, seven days or so, uh, it has been, it, we have, we officially have a direction for, for Mark U's program. And specifically Friday morning. Yes. <laughs> it, it was a, it was a one, two punch where you got two, two of the bigger names in the portal and snapped them up real quick. Yeah. Yep. You're going to recognize the, the last name of the first guy, uh, it being a Nimhard brother, of course, Andrew Nimhard, now a, a guard for the Indiana Pacers, uh, a I believe very early second round. I think he was like the thirty first right. pick, thirty first yeah. pick of of the second round. Um, has carved himself out a spot in the NBA very very quickly. Um, as I, I think he finished top three, top, top three or four in um, maybe not, not maybe not in rookie of the year voting, but in in was on a lot of first team all rookie ballots. Um, his brother Ryan Nimhard, who spent his his college basketball up until this point at Creighton, uh, has made the jump to to Gonzaga, and another Nimhard brother will pay, will play for Mark Few. Yeah, we talked about the Tommy Lloyd connection and the idea that it seemed like Ryan Nimhard was going to follow him to Arizona, and then Ryan Nimhard said, actually. I'll just go with the head coach that got my brother to the NBA instead of the the assistant that helped with Andrews recruiting from Florida because, you know, Tommy Lloyd is recruiting wizard man. Mm-hmm. And so I hadn't really considered the possibility of Ryan Nenhard going to Gonzaga. And in hindsight, I probably should have given that more thought because the minute it happened, you went, oh, right. They were always going to be a factor just because that family knows Mark Fuse so well, knows that school so well. Yeah. And... I think there's just some really obvious opportunity at at Gonzaga heading into next year. Right. And you put, you put the, you know, Graham EK being the other guy who, who committed on Friday morning, you put, you, you combine those two things. I'm sure he knew that Graham EK was, was, um, on his way to Gonzaga more than likely. I'm sure that wasn't a surprise to, to Ryan Nimhard when, when he made the decision, but you have a chance to go to a program that has been one of the best in the last, you know, 10 years or so from a, from an always being relevant winning games perspective. And certainly the last, you know, basically since that 2017 season, that 16, 17 season. So that's, you know, seven, eight years of really high level play from Gonzaga. And if you're going to, you know, you have to think that for the most part, like Ryan Nimhard's going to get the keys to that offense. Yeah. I mean, he's more or less coming in to do what it, what Andrew did. Right. Mm -hmm. Different different situation because you don't have this ready-made juggernaut, but from a, and this is, or was the issue with Gonzaga last season, right? Is they didn't have a Ryan Nemhart. And we've talked about this also with Villanova, but with Gonzaga as well, that you can go trace the lineage through the guards mm-hmm. and specifically the point guards. And that player just wasn't there after Andrew Nemhart left. And so that's the most interesting part of this to me in terms of Gonzaga's ceiling next season. And Nemhart's per- impact in particular is. How important does that become when Drew Timmy's not there? Sure. Because obviously it was a massive detriment to last year's team. It was what held them back is they didn't have somebody that does the things that Ryan Nemhart does. Does the fact that you have one of the top five players in the country who is not designed to play on the perimeter with the ball in his hands Right, it makes it that much more important because you need to be able to get the ball to Drew Timmy. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about a different conversation. Obviously, you had to fill that hole, and Ryan Nemhard obviously makes your team much better, and you needed players too. You know, not just, and we'll get to the kind of the the overall roster at the end. 
but I am just very curious as to what this does for Gonzaga's ceiling. Because to me, it was obvious last season that it would have made all the difference in the world. They would have been a national mm. title contender. We're kind of in the reverse of last season where the the talent is the question, but they have the guy to run the offense. Yeah, and you don't get... Obviously, Nemhard would have had a really good opportunity at Creighton as well. But it's not every day you get to walk in and get the keys to Gonzaga to kind of... So it does make sense to me a little bit more why he would enter the transfer portal when this kind of opportunity is the one that he ended up taking. Yeah, I'm not totally sure I agree with you that just having a great guard would have turned them into a complete national title contender because they were still the number one offense at Kempom last year. Sure. Even though, and they were atrocious defensively that, for a national okay, title that, contender. And Ryan Nemhard is, is... I think Ryan Nemhard has, will... I mean, like, you can't play... Like that, you can't... Like, if your point of attack isn't at least solid defensively he can't be as good of a defense as Creighton was last year um but like that was definitely the issue I'm not totally sure their ceiling changes like drastically um if if I mean I guess if Ryan Nembhard is the one that's there then 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 probably so but um I was thinking more in terms of the way we're talking about them as you know it's a can they play good enough defense to get to a Final Four National Championship game versus they're just not one of the best 10 teams in the country because of those sure. two issues. And, well, maybe they can pull it together in March. You, you, but you, you're right. They probably didn't have enough. Def- there were certainly times in the tournament where it looked like they didn't have enough defensively. Statistically, the numbers will say they didn't have enough defensively. That's a, that's a valid point. I, you know, I meant more, and I chose my words poorly, but we would have had a different conversation about Gonzaga had they had that point guard position figured out. It would have been much more along the lines of Baylor, mm-hmm. right? And maybe even a better version of that because they were still a better team than Baylor. Most of the time, I, I think Ken Palm is, is, pretty, is, is pretty accurate. I, I like, I'm not totally sure. Like, would anybody... Would anybody tell you that Gonzaga was the best offense in the country last year? Would anybody? I don't think so. Like, like I, like we, like I watched them play UConn in the in in the Elite Eight. That is not like the number one offense in the country doesn't get stonewalled like that. Yeah. And and, and maybe and all you like like their their guard their guard play was so bad last year. Yeah. Like and and maybe it's just because Drew Timmy was that good from an efficiency standpoint, but it's it's one of those times that it's just like that's one of those numbers that fails that fails the eye test for me. Yeah, to me they were not the the well-oiled machine that previous and I think this was pretty evident, but right they weren't the well-oiled machine of years past. And mm-hmm. maybe part of it is, okay, right, remember what they did to Alabama. And they also did play in the WCC, right? So they're, it's going to look better on from a number standpoint than from an eye test standpoint because of those things. Because mm-hmm. when, right, when, and we said this all year, when it was They also going, didn't turn the ball over at all last year. They were top 15 in the country in turnover percentage, which also yeah, helps. there you go. That too. Mm-hmm. Right, we said this all season. When they're going, there's just nothing you can do about it. They can score 100 on anybody. Mm-hmm. The question is, how often do they get to that level? And there were, I mean, the first half against UCLA, yeah, what UConn did to them. There were clearly, even if Ken Pops thinks it's the best offense, there were clearly holes on the offensive side as well. Yeah. I mean, and like their second in effective field goal percentage, 14th in turnover percentage, 22nd in three point field goal percentage, fifth in two point field goal percentage. It's not like the rest of the numbers don't paint the picture of the number one offense in the country. It's just when they played outside of the WCC last year, apart from maybe, you know, the, the, the Alabama game that you're like, eh, I'm not, I'm not totally sure this is where they would have ended up if, if they were playing a, like even a Pac 12 schedule. Yeah. And then, so, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. So the other part of this is what you get on the interior here. Mm-hmm. In, in a guy who has been 
bothered by injuries, missed last season because of an injury, but was really, really good two seasons ago. Mm-hmm. And a team that had no interior presence now has an interior presence, and a team that had no point guard now has a point guard. Mm-hmm. It's just a very interesting... I mean, they got a lot better a lot quickly. There were a lot of questions that got answered with these two additions. It's just kind of the exact opposite of everything last season. I'm fascinated to see how this plays out. Yeah, and and neither... Like, the most important player that's coming back is... I mean, from an impact standpoint, it's probably Malachi Smith, right? If Malachi Smith comes back. Right. Right, we're still waiting on Anton Watson and Malachi Smith, which kind of swings this to a respectfully degree. Respectfully to both of them, they're stupid if they don't come back to Gonzaga next year. Respectfully. Like like what like you're gonna go like neither of those guys are gonna are gonna be guaranteed an NBA roster. I just like there's a, I mean, there's a, from an NBA standpoint, there's definitely yeah, I would agree that there's a really good opportunity here to increase your draft stock by being key contributors to this team. A team that needs more. Yeah. I mean Anton Watson is the official he should be much better this year, but doesn't end up being that much more productive of college basketball. He's so important, though. Yeah, that's my point. He's yeah. not going to be important to a single professional basketball team next year, or he could be the third most important player on Gonzaga's on a national title contender. That would be silly to me. Respectfully. I mean, do what you want, but that would be... I mean, you could either fly private all year or go live in Fort Wayne and play and fly Southwest to go play G League games if you want to. It's fine by me. I really, I, I'll just be disappointed. Because in theory... Graham Ike and Ryan Nemhart are joining a team that, in theory, has four of their top seven scorers returning from a year ago, assuming that Anton Watson and Malachi Smith come back. Nolan Hickman, Ben Gregg, um, still a team that made it to an Elite Eight. And right then, then, a, then a, a rotation, a roster kind of starts to kind of starts to take shape with with those other guys in mind. I mean, I'll just I'll say now, like if those two guys leave, it doesn't matter. These transfers don't matter. They'll be a they'll be a top twenty team all year because they they'll beat everybody in the WCC like they always do. But that's not a national title contender if those if those guys don't come back. Yeah, and that's the the final point I wanted to get to. Which which makes me feel like that they like like that's a question I'm asking if I'm Ryan Nimhard. Like who from your team last year is coming back because. Like Ryan Nimhart on Creighton, and maybe it was a they knew maybe it was a he felt pushed out because they were looking at Stephen Ashworth. Like if it, maybe there's some there's some legitimacy to that. Maybe he had just decided after the year ended that he was going to leave, and that's why they were going at what. However, it ends up, but like Creighton, like Creighton right now, when you look at preseason top twenty fives, pre, Creighton is far ahead of Gonzaga oh. in preseason rankings. Oh yeah. So like like I don't I like I wouldn't totally understand the I'm going to go somewhere and not be a title contender when I'm already the 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 guy with the ball in his hands for a title contender. Like that 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 doesn't pass the out loud test to me if they're really worried that those guys aren't going to come back. Yeah, and I mean, NIL is part of this too, but you don't think Gonzaga when you think NIL. Right? No, probably should, right? I'm sure they have unlimited funds to pay guys. When you're comparing that to Arizona or Texas or somebody though? Yeah, I think I think that every... I, I think there are a lot of people giving money to like like the sure. the money available to the texas men's basketball program in spe- in particular yes i could i think gonzaga is going to be on the same level as that 100 percent. well let me put it this way if it's not ryan Nemhart's not going to gonzaga you just said this is an nil thing and then just said, I said that, a part of it in terms of getting okay so what's the other part of it then because he's getting he's not getting more opportunity at gonzaga you could argue he's the starting he's got, port guard on both teams. Yeah, you could argue he's got more responsibility with this team, though, because the pieces aren't as good. Okay. I, I, just, just 
from a thought process standpoint. And, you know, Creighton is not the center of the NIL world. My point was Creighton's not the center of the NIL world either. Right. So looking at NIL opportunities, that's, that's always just part of the equation at this point. But my, my big question for Gonzaga is kind of what you were talking about with, do they get these guys back is, do they have enough top end talent? They're going to be good, obviously. Mm-hmm. But we're used to Gonzaga having one of the best players in the country, right? We're used to Gonzaga having all American caliber guys. Is that Ryan Nemhard? Is that EK? Is that Malachi Smith? It's just a very interesting, again, it's the reverse of everything we kind of come to think about Gonzaga and specifically last season. You knew you had the the All-American. The question was the supporting cast. Now the supporting cast is significantly improved, but do you have the guy who's going to elevate you to a point where you can go beat any, you know, he can be the best player on the floor against any team in the country kind of thing? Because you knew you had that in Drew Timmy, and that's kind of where I'm, I'm now waiting to see, right, do they get every, the what does this roster end up looking like? And can somebody become that guy? Because it could also just be a team of really good players that's the 14th best team in the country, but not really a factor when it comes to winning a national title. Uh, the team that's come the closest to winning a national title, Gonzaga, is not the 21 team. It's the 16-17 team. Mm-hmm. That team had one All-American. Nigel Williams-Goss was the only All-American. Okay. okay. He was the second team All-American that year. And that was the second best team in college basketball. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you think, like, so, so the question is, can, because, like, you don't, like, Nigel Williams Goss wasn't anywhere near the best player in the country. You don't need somebody to be the best player in the country. You just need one guy to be one of the 15 best. Right. And, like, I'm not totally sure that Ryan Nemhard or Graham EK or Malachi Smith is, those would probably be the three guys that I would coin as. I mean, Graham EK had was is you know twenty nine, like basically twenty and nine, twenty and ten, at you know at Wyoming. Like like it's not like he's going to go to the WCC and be shocked by the type of by the type of talent that he's playing against in the WCC. Um, so I think there are, there are contenders to be the Nigel Williams gloss of, of this sure. team, so yeah. to speak. But mm-hmm. um, now, like, now the other part of that is that there was another NBA player on that team too. So, so are you telling me that there, that there are multiple guys deciding whether or not they're going to come back to Gonzaga, but there aren't any NBA talent guys on that team. Do they have the opportunity because of the playing time in the roster? Absolutely. It's not that I'm dismissing them as a title contender. I just, and you're also adding steel venters. That's your other transfer to give him, a shout out here too. There is certainly enough talent here and enough pieces where, yeah, it could be one of those situations where you don't have Drew Timmy, but you've got the the third team All American. There's just a lot of. It could turn out this way, right? Here's the best case scenario where it all works, and they have all of these pieces that you need to be a national title contender, and they get better defensively and all of that. Mm. There's just some assumptions you have to make to get there. Is all I'm saying. And part of that is going to be, right, do you get Anton Watson back? Do you get Malachi Smith back? I think you're right. I think you're right. Okay, on the UNC side, um, uh, real quick, Creighton, I mean, sorry, Gonzaga, better or worse from an optics perspective next year? Like, like Like on February 1st, do we feel better about this team or last year's team? Let's just assume that those guys come back. Which one would I take? Preseason. As in, as in, which one? No, on February first, which one is closer to being the best, to being a national title oh, contender? Oh, sorry, February first. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, kind of as we're preparing for the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Oh. And for the sake of conversation, just assume that everybody that yeah. can come back is coming back. I mean, I have to say this one just because I didn't. The bar isn't very high. Because by February 1st, it was just very clear they didn't have now. And I fell victim to getting excited about this too come NCAA tournament. But it was clear by February 1st, they just didn't have what they needed. 
Mm-hmm. And the guard play wasn't good enough and the defense wasn't good enough. So from that standpoint, I I feel like this team can at least be in that conversation where it's, yeah, it's a really good team. They could beat anybody on their day. I just don't trust them to be consistent over six games to beat the best teams in the country, you know, one after another in the NCAA tournament. To me, that's kind of the the floor of this team is they're good. They're top 20. Mm-hmm. They just don't particularly scare you. So I would say this team with the, with the potential and the fact that some of those holes get filled, even with Timmy gone, I'll say you feel a little bit better about this team. I think it's easily this team easily. This team will easily like if all of those guys come back, this team will easily be more well-rounded than yes. last year's team easily. Right. And from and a also- from a do they have the infrastructure to make a deep run in the tournament? This right. it's this team easily for me, right. because Drew Timmy doesn't check all as good as he was. He doesn't check those boxes for you. And and quite frankly, in the most in the most important games of Drew Timmy's college basketball career, he was horrible. Like he just wasn't good enough. That you lead eight against game? UConn. Okay, sorry, I forgot about the UCLA game, but like, like uh, my, my point being, like, he, like he's not an, a first round prospect because of two of his college. Like he's just like when he he plays guys that are actually physically capable of like defending him and bothering him, he's just not good enough. And the point being that that Drew Timmy was never going to be enough to take you all the way to a national to to a Final Four. And last year, that's kind of what it turned into was that. Sometimes it was only Drew Timmy that you had to lean on, and right. that was ultimately not enough. That was, I mean, because like in that UConn game, he got into foul trouble, and the like the Gonzaga offense looked completely lost. Oh yeah, completely yeah. right. But uh, to but I like I just think I also just think that there's some value to not having like one guy that everybody can kind of lean on. Yep. You you like this roster, you like this roster construction better by a mile. Yeah, I knew you were, I knew uh, yeah, you were gonna uh, say that by yeah. a mile. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's Gonzaga. We'll see. We'll see how they how the rest of this offseason looks and and uh, and and what roster they actually put on the floor in early November when when the season gets underway. The other team that has has reoriented themselves, took a look at the compass and now they're on now they're on uh, at least a new headed, direction. Headed in the complete opposite direction. Perhaps, perhaps. Uh it is is the North Carolina Tar Heels um plenty of plenty of of change going on with with UNC of course Caleb Love deciding to go to Michigan um to 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 play out the remainder of his college basketball eligibility and that kind of left you know and apart from the fact that they were just bad last year that kind of leaves North Carolina in an interesting spot Josh and they have they have reloaded with 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 some names and you know there are some names that you know some of them I'm not totally sure like like if they're just sexy because we know them as college basketball names or if they're actually going to raise the ceiling really high for this North Carolina team. But nonetheless, some some highly, highly touted prospects, um, a, a four recruit, a four transfer class at the moment. And it starts with with one of the best transfers that was left on the board until until recently. And that's Harrison Ingram uh, coming from Stanford. Yeah. And this is the team for me that I love the way this roster looks now. Because basically you get two things out of these four guys. Mm -hmm. You get a wing scorer that didn't exist in Harrison Ingram. Mm -hmm. Right? That team last year didn't have one. Yep. Now, his numbers were almost identical his two seasons at Stanford. He was good as a freshman. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he did the same thing as a sophomore. That gives me a little bit of hesitation and and wondering, does he have anything more? Right? Because that Stanford team had potential last season. It was, I remember talking about preseason. 
can Harrison Ingram take another step and mm-hmm. help elevate that team? And the answer was resoundingly no. Unequivocally no. Yeah. yeah. Now, does he need to be 18 points a game for this team? No, of course not. He's the, what, third option? Because you still have R.J. Davis, you still have Armando Bacon, right? That's where yeah, your probably. offense is. That's where your offense is based. So it's not like he has to be. Now, do I think that the best version of this team is Harrison Inger being the number one option? Maybe. I think I'm willing to have that conversation. Just just fundamentally, the 6'8 wing that can score being your number one option. Yeah. For the modern game. Yeah, that is the that is your number one option, but it won't be. Right. And so to your least, to your point, to your point, like he's not going to average 18 a game. Right. Or at least to to have the ability to play that way when you need to. Right. Because there are a lot of teams Baycott can just kind of take care of himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when it comes to right matchups, versatility, being able to win multiple ways, can Harrison Ingram be that guy mm-hmm. that they didn't have last season who is not a inefficient guard or a traditional low post big, right? Mm-hmm. That was part of the problem. They had that guy in Brady Manic. Now, very different version, but they had a a something else that could carry an offense. Can Harrison Ingram be that other option? Even though he's yeah, he doesn't need to be the leading scorer, but can he go get twenty five in a game where Baycott's in foul trouble or you know teams are doubling Baycott? Can he be the guy to benefit? And then, perhaps even more important than that. Cormac Ryan Paxton. Wojcik. Wait, can we stop on Harrison Ingram here? Can we stop on? Are, you, oh, are sure. we gonna? Are we gonna do the whole class and then kind of rotate and we can, then we kind of come back? With, we can stick with Harrison Ingram. Um, like he's not the guy that can go get you twenty five when everyone's in foul trouble. He's not. Not a single thing he's done in college was like, like, like. Right. And maybe it was a Jared Haas thing at Stanford, but like the why? Why Ingram doesn't have the didn't have like the greenest light in college basketball last year is a little is a little perplexing to me. And I don't know if it's right. Like I said, I don't know if it's a, if it's, if it was a Jared Haas thing, if it was a, like, like he's never scored more than 20. He scored more than I'm just, and I'm just looking like he only scored more than 15 points once last year. He had 24 against, sorry, I got to scroll the against Florida state at the beginning of last year. In November, uh, November twenty fifth, and he only got to fifteen f- five more times all season. I'm just, I'm just curious. Like, I'm very curious, and like, I think we'll kind of as we get further removed from Brady Manic, we'll start to appreciate how good Brady Manic was even more. Like, like Pete Nance came as a guy that was like, like Pete Nance regressed. Like, like didn't have less responsibility. Like Pete Nance regressed. At least, at least I thought he did. So, like, I like, I'm just curious. Um, I'm because, like, like it might look very, very similar next year, and maybe that's that's ends up being a good thing. But if Harrison Ingram comes in and score and averages ten points on only forty percent shooting, um, I'll be interested to see how much that changes North Carolina's ceiling because right. you're also like you'd love for him to be better than that like like and he's not like he shot three free throws a game at 60 percent. so like i'm not totally sure i'm like like i'm not totally sure he's a three point like like no, gonna no, help no, spread no, the no. floor which no, no, is no. no 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 yeah which is like i also am like like so are we just gonna have like he's definitely gonna have some ability to hang out like in the high post area so we can have some high low kind of thing going on with with armando baycott maybe that's helpful just like and and maybe this is where you're getting, but like, yes. I don't think that Harrison Ingram is the most important transfer that UNC is going to get. He's yeah. the sexiest name that they're going to get, and he's the most touted transfer that they're going to get. But he is not the most important transfer they're going to get. Like, like and, we can we can be, play this game he bec- unless he becomes something he's not right now. Sure, I right. mean, and, and sure. And it's easy to talk yourself into the. But two guys just need to come do and to come do the things that they did at the other school that they played for. Right. So I'm much more, I'm much more curious and bank interested in banking on that than banking on Harrison Ingram to go from just not a great three point shooter to a guy who you have to respect all the time. And the one thing that everybody looks at at this point, when it comes to determining if there's more in the tank than we've seen is free throw shooting and shooting 59% from the free throw line last year does not suggest that it's there. Yeah. And so, 
from a skill standpoint, I feel like he kind of is who he is. And maybe he can improve somewhat shooting, which makes him, you know, competent, not a mm-hmm. great three-point shooter. Maybe he can hit 70% of his free throws. Yeah, it just... There are reasons to believe that you can get more out of him, and it's also easy to trick yourself into believing he's something that he's not, right? Yeah. It's kind of this balance of, is there actually more there, and if so, how much? Because yeah. then... Are we going to talk about the other three guys? Yeah, I, I, yeah. Just last thing is that when you look at like like I said like too many times. I apologize. I listened to like a. I said it again. I listened to a two minute stent of our podcast the other day and said it a million times. So I apologize. <laughs> when you look at Harrison Ingram's rankings in the transfer portal, and when you look at Stanford last year. It just doesn't make any sense that his minutes played went down and his shots per game went down and all like it is just it's super intriguing kind of like if I I I would have transferred too <laughs> I would have transferred too so it'll be interesting interesting to see where his numbers are next year and what his role is on next year's team. Mm-hmm. But please continue to the next transfer. Yeah. So <laughs> the other three guys are the ones who hypothetically solve the problem <laughs> because Cormac Ryan, 35% three point shooter for his career, shot over 40% two seasons ago, 2021 22. Now, is he a 40% three point shooter? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But is he at least 35? Absolutely. Paxton Wojcik shot 38% from three. Average 15, 7, and 3. Jalen Withers shot 42% from 3. Now, you know, 9 points, limited scoring. So it's, it's a question of how much do these guys actually contribute. But all of a sudden, instead of having zero reliable three-point shooters mm-hmm. and six guys you trust, we're talking about you adding four, three of whom have proven to be good three, at least between serviceable and very good three point shooters at the college level, to RJ Davis and Armando Baycott. So that already gets you at six guys, not to mention the rest of the roster. Mm-hmm. And there is no longer this shot selection issue, the log jam. And the fact that they just couldn't shoot the basketball last year. Mm. Hypothetically, that is no longer a problem because all of the supporting guys you're bringing in, with the exception of Ingram, are good three-point shooters. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence either. I, I'm interested... The, the rotation of this roster like and, ha- and how they exist together i find very intriguing because like does cormac ryan start on this team how if if they have a shooter like how how bad defensively is their best shooting lineup because Cormac Ryan was one of the most important players on one of the worst power five defenses in the country last year. And no offense to, to Paxson. But Paxson doesn't exactly look like a guy who's going to lock a guy down. I mean, he can shoot the heck out of the basketball. He absolutely shoot it. His lefty stroke is enviable, but this is the, like the the biggest issue was absolutely the shooting last year and right Pete Nance didn't come in and be Brady Manic and pretty much everything fell off the rails after that and it's not like they had it's not like last year's backcourt was elite defensively either right right so that's my point is is does the, the does the do the do the lineups that make the most sense offensively are they going to be good enough defensively mm-hmm. next year because 
Cormac Ryan and RJ Davis in the backcourt. Like I, I am, I'm like, I'm eating that for breakfast. <laughs> if I'm, if I'm another, if I'm a high level, if I'm a high level backcourt in college basketball. So I, I just think I, I just like that's that when it like I think UNC will be better next year because their shooting should be better and Armando Baycott should have more room to maneuver. I think and it Armando makes ba- sense. <laughs> right. Which is what I was could, saying. Right, 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 right. The roster. Yeah. The, I just wanted to actually articulate that the roster makes sense. Right. And we decided that it made complete sense last year because it brought back everybody except Brady. Like, the thing that made last year's the th- the thing that made two years ago UNC make sense was Brady Manic. Right. Everything he did then turned everything else into something that made sense. Yes. And we thought but that they had that last year is what you're right. saying. Right. Yeah. Right. I just feel better with having three options for that than saying it has to be Pete Nance. Right. But it might not matter if they're horrible defensively. That's the point sure. I'm getting to. From a from a ceiling standpoint. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, does it does it ultimately, they could be, are they going to be a team that's top three in college basketball and offensive efficiency and sub 50 in defensive efficiency? Because if that's the case, then they're probably not going to be a national title contender. At least not a true one. And they'll be on the, all the lists of, this is the list of teams. It's my least favorite thing, by the way. Like, and not because it's incorrect, because it was accurate. UConn was on the list of teams that could "quote unquote" win the national title, but it just—it's just lazy to me. Well, it, it was—it was not Baylor. Like Baylor, you had to have a better defense than twenty-two until Baylor won the national championship, and now it's twenty-two kind of thing. But I think there's a world in which the the narrative with UNC coming down the stretches. Man, it's really hard to stop them, but they don't get anywhere near enough stops, and there's going to be so much pressure on their offense to carry them as deep as they want to go. And the but other- it's going to look very, very different, and it should be fun. It should be really fun to watch with you know RJ Davis with the ball in his hands. It's the other thing I'm I'm I, like in the like in the back left corner of my head. It's like, okay, what if RJ Davis wants to to wants to score, right? Because it, it's it's not like both he and Caleb Love were super worried about facilitating. That's the other thing that's just like just like over just like sitting, he's having a drink over in the back corner. Like there's a corner booth, he's there, and we'll see if he has too many and becomes an issue at the bar, kind of thing. And that was the final thing I wanted to touch on is. valid concern. I'm less worried about the impact though when it's not two guys. Right? Because RJ Davis playing one-on-one because you've got two shooters on the floor and Harrison Ingram with Baycott and you can't leave any of them and, you know, Ingram's cutting to the basket or whatever. That's not bad. You know, that's good offense too. The problem becomes when you take Baycott out of the equation because the guards won't give the ball up, and there are, if R.J. Davis doesn't have it, it's Caleb Love, and you're not particularly scared of the rest of the players on the on the perimeter. Sure. Right. So th- having one now, you have three point shooters, a dominant big, and one ball dominant, s- somewhat inefficient guard. Which and zero true point guards. That's right. the point I'm making. Right. And so one or two, I don't care. There's not a true point guard on the team. Right. To me, that is less of a worry when it's one player. However, again, I'm thinking about in terms of improvement from last season, I think you're focused more on national title potential. Right. It's UNC. Uh, I'm not interested in thinking sure. about it any other way. Sure. And so it becomes a question of are they, you know, Gonzaga from last season? where mm. can't stop them sometimes. But you also don't necessarily trust the player, in this case, R.J. Davis, to run the offense efficiently, to get the ball to Armando Baycott where he needs it. Yeah, there are certainly... I am in no way, shape, or form ready to crown this team one of the five best in the country and a national title contender. 
they should be much, much better. I am very excited to see what this looks like. The potential is obviously very exciting. But there are some questions that still need to be answered before UNC ends up being talked about like they were at the beginning of last season. Oh, I'm not totally sure they're going to be good. I'm not totally sold on that. What, what is good? Top 20. Okay. I mean, RJ Davis, Armando, Armando Baycott, and a bunch of guys that played losing basketball next year. I mean, that's what you got. Harrison Ingram's numbers went down in conference play. Cormac Ryan was on one of the worst power five conference teams in the country. And you know how I feel about transfers coming from mid-majors. So in Jalen Withers' case, Louisville. Right. Oh, and Jalen Withers. Like, if there was anybody worse than Notre Dame last year in power conference play, it was Louisville. Louisville. So I um I think there might be some some like some overcorrection with UNC heading into next year that people who are scarred by the fact that they were saying things like, I think UNC has a chance to be historically good. I saw that preseason last year. Um, That maybe they don't give guys enough credit on this UNC team, but uh, yeah, I'm not totally, I'm not totally sure they're going to be great. Uh, well, I, I I don't think they're going to be great. I'm not totally sure they'll be they'll not be disappointing, but we'll see. Hmm. I feel good. About, I will say I do feel pretty good about their floor. And what's their floor? <laughs> not super high, you know, safely into the NCAA tournament, six, seven seed kind of thing. Okay. Where last season, I would probably agree with that. Last season. Loved the ceiling, also was terrified about the floor. Didn't articulate it as strongly as I should have, but we both kind of said, you can't just assume they're going to be what they were in the NCAA tournament, Mm -hmm. right? There was this idea that if it goes bad, it could go really bad. And that's what, now, I didn't think it was going to be as bad as it was. But we both were kind of on the, this this might just not work, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't feel like this team has that problem. The problem this team has is you saw what that group could do. You knew if it all clicked, they could beat anybody in the country. They could win a national championship. This team has a long way to go to prove it's on anywhere near that level, even though some of the pieces are the same. I'll agree with you there. I am. Yeah, I'm optimistic that it's going to be a much better season for UNC. I'm not ready to go throw UNC back into the, oh, it was a one-year blip. They're going to be right back competing for a final four. Yeah, we, there are some things that need to be proven before we get to that. And maybe it'll be an expectations thing more than anything else. Mm-hmm. That that dictates at least nationally yeah. how they right. how people feel about UNC season. Because and, if they're... I mean, I'm looking at, at Gary Parrish's top 25 and one right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, I, he... This is this is from so we're recording it's 906 on Monday morning the 24th. This is from the 21st, so Friday, Friday night. And UNC unless I miss them, UNC is still not in this top 25 and 1. So the so the point being is that if you know if they finish 16th in the country, that will feel a lot different than even if they had finished 16th in the country this year. Right. Now, the other part of that is, this is, like you said earlier, this is UNC. Right. I'm just... That's that's not the inside, the internal expectation. Right. And that's where I... I don't operate in that space because there's part of me that just doesn't... You know, you could say the same thing about Indiana. Was Indiana's season a failure because it was Indiana and they only made the you know second round of the NCAA tournament round of 32 no because that was an incredibly important step forward for Indiana considering where Indiana was mm-hmm. right to me there's sure North Carolina should be better sure it's embarrassing North Carolina missed the NCAA tournament but you can't just operate in a world where you assume because of the the name on the jersey that they 
that group of players should be doing X, Y, Z, right? You got to take it season by season. You can say overall, North Carolina's program isn't meeting expectations, mm-hmm. which is a different conversation, a conversation that has a lot more to do with Hubert Davis. But I, I'm more focused on the actual year to year because things happen. Sometimes programs just have down, down times, right? It's, you know, Duke missed, had that one terrible season. Now they weren't exactly down for long, but also Duke haven't really been, except for making the final four last two seasons ago, they haven't exactly been a major factor the mm-hmm. past handful of seasons, right? So, yeah, I just, there's two different conversations to be had, and I hope we don't get them confused. Wait, what was that last one about Duke? Did you say something about Duke? Sorry, I was hey, reading. Right, I was so I was past, looking at stats. Past few seasons, outside of making the Final Four. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that part was that part was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They I were the best why. team in the sport two years ago. Probably sure. By the time they had, they're certainly the uh, most talented team in the sport. One thousand percent. Yeah. Maybe they weren't the best team in the sport, but they were the most talented team. One thousand. Right. So that was sandwiched between. Uh, under what? Under five hundred? Just over five hundred season? I don't even remember. I mean, you can you can dock them for the COVID year if you want to. I certainly won't. And a last last season where they were good, seemed to have things going by the NCAA tournament, and then lost to a Tennessee team that they should not have lost to. In the right, first my, year my, of a new head coach. Right, right, right. I, I'm not trying to say that Duke is you know going away or anything like that. My point is just North Carolina is not the only blue blood that has down down seasons. The only one that basically sure. doesn't is Kansas. <laughs> sure. You know, that's all I was using Duke sure. as an example to say, even Duke hasn't been what you would expect from Duke. Sure. In the totality of the past three seasons. Sure. Sure. That's- sure. Sure. All right. Anything else on, on UNC? No. Who's who, who has a higher, who has a higher seed? In the tournament, UNC or Gonzaga? Higher meaning better. Yeah. Gonzaga. Higher meaning closer to one. Gonzaga. I think you're probably right. Like, even if they're eh, they'll still be a four seed because they won so many games. And they'll win enough non-con games against good teams because they play so many of them. Yeah. I mean, mean, Gonzaga was not for a single second did anybody think Gonzaga was better than UConn, except maybe at the very beginning of the season. And Gonzaga was still the better, the, the higher seed in the NCAA tournament. It's kind of crazy to think about. I mean, UConn did lose seven, what was it, seven Big East games? Sure. They still had a better resume than than, Yo, oh, than Gonzaga definitely. for my money. Yeah, oh, definitely. They, Gonzaga just wins so many games. Right. That's the point I was making. They just right. won so many right. games. Do you think that we feel better about Gonzaga than UNC on Selection Sunday, regardless of where they are seated? In terms of winning, in terms of in terms of, I mean, you you can pick whatever you want there. Are they a trendier Final Four pick than Gonzaga? Are there more people picking UNC to go to the Final Four than Gonzaga? I'll say I feel better about Gonzaga. I think I, that would be that would be the the answer I would go with as well. It's interesting though. Mm-hmm. Anything else? I think I'm good. Please subscribe to the Jace for Days podcast and Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Jace for Days Pod, and we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jace for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.